You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. This morning we're going to look at a passage from Timothy, 2 Timothy, a, uh, and we're going to start at one and just go through a couple of, uh, or just half a chapter. This is a book that Paul wrote to a, a young guy that he was mentoring, and I think it's a fantastic um, passage to look at and encourage us as uh, whether we're parents or spiritual parents or have parents or have spiritual parents. It's a great verse for this morning. So let's dig in. Let me read Second Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears I long to see you that may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gifts of God, which is in you through the laying of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because our works, but because of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I must suffer as I do. If you don't know, Paul's probably writing this from prison or usually in a stint in between prison. So that's why he talks a lot about being a prisoner and suffering. Um, Follow, uh, sorry, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love and are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The good deposit. So we're going to speak a little bit about, we're going to use a couple of words for that good deposit. We're going to speak about legacy this morning. The definition of legacy, I think it's up, up there possibly in the slides. Next one. Yes. Legacy by definition means anything handed down from the past as from an ancestor or a predecessor. Um, and I guess this is what this book is about. Timothy's going through some hard times. There's lots of silly conversations, foolish conversations, Paul calls it, in the community he's in. in the, and he says, be encouraged, my son. Be encouraged on what, you, what the good deposit you have, what has been entrusted, what your legacy is. A little bit of a disclaimer, though, because as I turn, talk about Father's Day this morning, some of you um, may not have kids, uh, may have older kids or older parents, may not have parents that are alive or distant, and so you might be tempted to go, that's 20 minutes of sleep, I can get in and I'll let all the parents talk about legacy. Um, But unfortunately, Paul doesn't let that happen. 
because he says this to Timothy, my beloved child. My beloved, and so if you don't know, Tim's not his biological son. Um, in fact, this is one of three letters we know that Paul wrote to Tim. Um, but he's played a part as his spiritual father or brother to him. Which is in line with what Jesus asked us when he left. He said, go make disciples, go make students, go make spiritual kids or spiritual brothers and sisters of me. And so before you switch off, I want you to consider what spiritual children has God asked you to be a mentor, parent, grandparent or brother and sister to? Uh, just for my, my example, my kids don't know the difference. They, this is who their family is. They're not here this morning, they're homesick, but when they come here, they have a biological family, they love that family, but this is their family, Sunday morning. This is what they get excited. Ari was devastated this morning, she barely could lift her head that she couldn't come to church, because her family's here. So, I don't get to choose that for her, that's who's here, and that's her family. Her spiritual grandparents, her spiritual brothers and sisters, her spiritual parents. When she looks, as they grow up, any of our kids, any of our spiritually young as they grow up and they look for how a Christian man acts, they look to the men in this church. The girls will look to the women in this church on how Christian women act and love the Lord. And so there is a responsibility here for everyone this morning as they consider themselves spiritual parents or siblings. But before we unpack this passage, let's get awake this morning. Give me a, I've called it a dadism. Give me something, you might be a dad that you find yourself saying all the time or that maybe your dad said all the time um, as a piece of advice. And I'm hoping people have a few. I'm going to pick on the Edwards girls, so be thinking. Give me something that John says all the time that you laugh at. You're like, we know John. Well, you probably don't call him John. That's disrespectful. So, You got one? Yep. My dad used to say the definition of an expert hmm? is a drip under pressure. An expert has been and a drip is a spoon is a drip under pressure. There you go. There you go. I love it. A dadism, I've called it. What, what else are we? My dad's much way now, but um, he used to always say to me, don't worry, just be happy. There you go. It can be a parentism, doesn't have to be a dadism. Give me something a parent has said. What do you got, Samal? You're laughing. What do you got? You've got to do it in Portuguese, though. So. Oh, yeah, dad's got plenty. Your dad? <laughs> our dad? Yeah, our dad, yeah. Our dad has a few of them. I've written them down. He's here, so you can... Yeah. There you go. It's only a bargain if you're looking for it in the first place. And the one that I find myself saying, I couldn't believe it, is don't steer a station... You can't steer a stationary ship... Um, which is dad's, which I think is Stafford Williams originally. Is that right? Let's trace back to Stafford, I believe. So did we come up with one, Edwards? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like this. So engage, talk to people. That's good. Thank you, Edwards. Thank you for embarrassing John. So any last-minute entries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he says to him, I've got too many CDs. <laughs> That's, I've seen photos of your room and he's probably right, but it's fair enough. So parents say stuff. They have a script. They say, they say things. Dadisms, I've called them. Um, and it's funny to talk about these things, but these things that our parents say shape us. Um, it's, I've had the privilege of sitting with a few young couples before they got married and they'll talk about how they're going to act when they're married and some of them will say, oh, I want to do that like my parents and then others will say, oh, I definitely don't want to do that like my parents and so let's take it's an argument and a, a couple might say, I don't want to argue like mum and dad did and they, they're like, we will not do that and they almost define themselves by that then they find themselves, they tell me later on, they find themselves in an argument and they're arguing with each other and they've got no way to react. They don't know what the script is. And so what do they, what do they go reach for? They're one they know. And so they're back in the office or back grabbing a coffee with me saying, it turns out I'm exactly like my parents. <laughs> or Because that's the script they know. They reach for that narrative, which is good and bad. I get that. But they reach for the script because that's what they know. That's what they've been entrusted with. That is the deposit, good or bad, that's been put in them. Every time. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say stuff like that. Dad used to say, Dad probably still says, actually, boys, does he still say, get into settling down mode? I had to stop myself the other day. Kids, we need to get in. No, not going to say that. I promised myself I wouldn't say that. It's the script. It's a script we know. As explained, we have a legacy that is with us. All scripts that shape us from our parents. And a lot, well, it can come from anyone, but a lot of that comes from our parents. Paul even acknowledges this. As I said, in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, him talking to Timothy, faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and then your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells with you. He acknowledges this entrusted legacy that has been passed down. It defines us. It's the script we know. So here's a question this morning. And What if your parents weren't perfect? Chances are they weren't perfect. They're human. What if your parents didn't have a good script themselves? What if dad was a workaholic? What if your mum, out of her own hurt and her own script, could be quite nasty? What if you didn't feel safe at home? What if you felt like you weren't enough? Even if they didn't know this, they, you just felt like you weren't enough. What if every step you needed to prove something? What if there was distance? One of the parents weren't interested in being a parent or unable to. And what if there was abuse? What if the home wasn't safe? Then what script or deposit or legacy are you left with? Paul again highlights this. He says in 2 Timothy 2, For people will be lovers of money and proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceful, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. 
And I, I, I like the imagery for this. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. Creep into households. We're all sinners. We all fall short. Maybe for you there was legacies of things that crept into your script, into your legacy, into your household. And so the legacy, just getting us to consider them this morning, what's the legacy, good and bad, that has been given to you? What do you carry? What legacy were you left? What good or bad things were given to you from your history and experiences? In this room, I imagine the thought of that brings immense joy for some and immense pain for others. I reckon a fair most of us, it'll be both. There'll be both joy and hard times as well. Here's my encouragement for you this morning. I want to encourage you, if you know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. Come have a chat to me after. If you know Jesus, then that doesn't have to be the legacy you live in. That doesn't have to be your script. That doesn't have to be your story. Jesus broke all the rules in Mark when he's praying and he's praying around his disciples and he's praying around the religious and they've got all the bells and smells and different things they do and certain prayers they have to say and they say it out loud and all these different names for Yahweh and all these different things you have to do when you pray. Jesus kneels down in Mark and guess what he says? And this doesn't sound that offensive now but was super offensive for those listening. He says this in 36, Abba, Father. He says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Just before he's about to be taken to be crucified, he calls his heavenly father, Abba. Not a 70s Swedish pop group. The 70s, I don't know, but Abba actually means, the best translation is daddy. Jesus smashes all the religiosity and shows that with God, Yahweh, we can actually have a daddy-like relationship. He called God dad. You can imagine people, even the disciples, I don't know if you should be saying that. He called God dad. Because he knew God offered another deposit, another legacy that could define us. That that could be our heritage. In fact, this is what God has done right through the Bible. God is in the business of changing one's legacy. He takes his nomad Abraham, wandering around the desert, old, and he says, I'm going to make you father of generations. I'm going to make you the, um, yeah, the father of generations and your generations and generations will speak about you. I'm going to change your whole legacy, who you are and what's ahead. Or he takes people that are under slavery in Egypt. And think about that for a moment. If you're, in, if you're a slave, all you know is work, 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 work. How many bricks did you lift today? How many pyramids did you build today? Work, work. You're defined by what you do, by your master. That was who they were, these slaves. What's Jesus? Well, what's God do? frees them and gives them a place to call home 
And it makes sense that he actually orders them to rest. Once a week, he said, you need to rest. Puts it in context when all they knew is work. He says, no, 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 once a week, I'm ordering you to rest. It's a law. Actually, every seven years, you need to take a year off. They never do that. They can't help themselves. They go back to their old legacy. But he actually says to them, have enough faith in me that every seven years, you can take a year off. How's that? Redefines them. And then lastly, what we've just remembered, Jesus dying on the cross, redeeming us. No matter what we have done or said or a parent or a mentor or somebody, we're redefined by a new hope, a new script, and we've been welcomed into God's family and we have a new father. Or if you had a great relationship with your parents, you've got another father. Abba, Dad, the Heavenly Father. Even as he's chained up, Paul reminds us, says exactly this to Timothy. This is his encouragement. He says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember from the dead, the offspring of David. He's he's talking about his story. As he preached in my gospel, I'm suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. You can trust this, Paul is saying to Tim. Be encouraged. If we have died with him, we have also lived with him. Our old legacy can be put to death. The faults of our generation can be put to death, our generations before us. If we endure, and we'll receive a new life. If we endure, also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. To paraphrase this, my son Tim, you are defined by Jesus, not by the chains that hold me. Not what they tell you, but by Christ. You must remember, and not only remember, but walk in the legacy or the deposit that you have now. Life-giving now and life eternal. Paul encouraged Timothy to remember this each day, to protect the deposit, to wake up each day and say, this morning I'm not defined by my heritage, I'm not defined by my Facebook feed, I'm not defined by my neighbour's new car, I'm not even defined by the mistakes of my parents, but my heavenly Father who created me for his purpose and has gifted me for this time. Paul wasn't just encouraging Tim to carry the legacy with him, but to live in it every day. And so what legacy do you live from? Not just carry, what do, what, what do you get up and live from every day? What story, what narrative, what script? Is it past hurt? Or is it the life and joy that comes from Jesus And of course, he knew this was probably coming. (laughs) What legacy will you pass on? What's the legacy you're going to give? As discussed, you might be saying, Steve, I don't have kids or have lost kids or my kids are much older now. Let me reiterate this for you. There's approximately 16 kids under five coming to this church. There's around six or seven young mothers and fathers at this church and always more coming in. And there are a bunch of people between 30 and 110 
that are also spiritually got room to grow, as we all do. They are all desperate for spiritual mentors, parents, brothers and sisters, spiritual uncles, whatever you feel comfortable with. They're looking for people. You have a legacy that they want to hear and want to be shared. And so the next question is, all right, well, you might have convinced me I might have potential spiritual kids, but how do I share the legacy? What do I do? Um, we have some massive age brackets in this church, like gaps. So it can be quite scary. What do I, where do I even start? They're, they're so different from me. <laughs> I tried, but I'm not perfect. I'm not Paul. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking. Um, I'm honest to you this morning. I wrote this. The answer is I don't actually fully know. <laughs> the idea of having my own kids keeps me up at night. The idea of being a spiritual leader in this church keeps me up at night. I worry about the church, pray about the church. I worry about things that are going on. I worry about people. I worry about my kids. I pray about my kids. Please, God, help me not stuff them up. (laughs) So I don't fully know. I don't have all the answers as a new parent. But aren't we blessed? You don't have to rely on my opinion because Paul gives us some insight on how we can pass the legacy on to our spiritual brothers and sisters or kids. He says this in 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Follow the pattern of the sound words. And then he says this in the next passage. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And then he says this in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul's words come with a pattern for life. Paul's words come with real suffering, real tears and real life done together. Paul, I know we just see Paul's letters, but he, his, his relationship with Tim wasn't just sending letters. He says, I long to see you again. I long to be with you in person. I long to do life with you. Paul wasn't just full of good advice. Paul modelled a life. He lived in that legacy. He lived from that deposit with Tim. So that even in his weakness, even when he's in tears, even when he makes mistakes, Timothy could see God at work in Paul. It was real, it was authentic, it was the real thing. They shared wins and they shared tears together. Even when Paul talks about the Bible, he doesn't just say, oh, and memorise the Bible heaps, make sure you know this, make sure you've got it memorised. That's good as well. He talks about its practical application. It's for good works. It's for life. Not just to know heaps. The Bible is for life, to live, to bring life now and eternally. Scripture is practical. It's tangible. It's to equip us. Paul even warns us against the opposite. He's made it super clear. He says this. Oh, actually, I didn't bring a slide for that. So, Miriam, stop looking for that one. In 2 Timothy 3, he says, 
Some people have the appearance of godliness, but deny it's a power. Avoid such people. He says, I don't really care about the show. I care about the power. And I like this one, 2 Timothy 7. He says, some people are always learning, but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Paul doesn't say to Tim, next time I see you, there'll be a Bible quiz. I wanted you to get nine out of ten. Doesn't say that. Next time we're together, we'll eat, we'll cry, we'll laugh. It's hard. I'm in jail at the moment. I'll try to get to you. Remember the scripture. It is life-giving. Remember your forefathers, Jesus, or David, from King David to Jesus. It is your legacy. Guard that. Live out of that. Interesting context in today's generation. So those younger than me, maybe my age and younger, most experts or people that write about what's going on will say that generation simply doesn't trust Christians or the church. Interestingly enough, the greatest enemy to the church hasn't been atheism. Atheism. <laughs> In fact, they've done their own damage. A lot of, there's atheists out there, but a lot, of, a lot of young people actually believe there's a God or something spiritual out there. It's quite popular. They just don't really believe it has any tangible, authentic, real way to express it or anything to do with their life. Sort of like a distant God somewhere that might have lit the match for the whole thing. They would say he exists, but for those that went to church or those that went to church a couple of generations ago, they saw the divorce rates were almost the same. They saw greed was almost the same. And as we know from the news, abuse was possibly worse in the church in Hollywood. Now, I know the churches have done a lot more than that. Not to mention the hospitals, the started schools, universities. Don't get me started on how the church has shaped every good thing about our society. But they see the brokenness and they see the fakeness and they see knowledge without action. Right or wrong, that's what they see. And so this passing the legacy advice we get couldn't be more timely as the spiritually young are desperate to see it modelled, are desperate to cry with a Christian, see them real, see them make mistakes and say, but here's how God helped me overcome it. Oh, yes, I got angry at that person, but here's how I was able to forgive. Yes, I stuffed that relationship up, but here's how God was able to redeem me. They want that. They don't need to be shouted at or marched at. They need people to come beside them and show them what it means to live in God's legacy, to live as his child, to cry with them, to share mistakes, as I said, to show them what it means to walk in the freedom and life that only comes from Christ, to live in the knowledge and power. And so a couple of questions as we finish off this morning. This Father's Day, or this, whether you're father or not, you can consider this. What legacy do you carry around each day and live from? Is it Christ's legacy? Do you know when you wake up you're free? That your eternity's been set? That you live in the power and the freedom and the forgiveness of Jesus? And what legacy are you leaving or modelling each day? What legacy do you carry? Is it one of brokenness or proving yourself because something or someone did or said something? Is it trapping you? 
or do you walk in dad's story? Heavenly Father's legacy and his child and free from this broken and dark and addiction-prone world. And what legacy are you leaving or modelling? If someone was watching you as a follower of Jesus, this isn't a judgment at all. Would they say you live or at least try to live? Paul says in his weakness, God makes him strong or God makes his weakness strong. Would they see an imperfect person made strong in a perfect God? Would they see someone that comes to church Sunday and lives for God Monday? What legacy are you leaving? So just two challenges, actually, this morning. I think I've got time. I've got, we'll, we'll do one last song, but I just, just I get you guys actually even to come on up. But just two, two challenges for this Father's Day this morning. One, I didn't realise when I started looking into 2 Timothy how much was in it. And I actually feel bad that we're not doing a series on it now because I was like, wow, there's some amazing stuff that I think speaks to our church. And so we'll revisit it, but have a read this week of 2 Timothy. It's only four, four chapters. You could read it in one sitting. 2 Timothy, have a look, read. That's my homework for the church, if that's all right, this week. And second, this Father's Day, find a way to encourage someone that is younger or spiritually younger than you. That's it. That's where it starts. When church finishes before you race out to get a bicky or a coffee, look around and see if there's someone that's a new face and say hello. Or look around and see if there's someone you can encourage. I understand we have different capacity, different ways of doing it. It just starts with an encouragement. It doesn't have to be, hey, I'd like to sit down with you and be a solid mentor and father figure in your life today. Would you be okay with that, stranger? <laughs> It just starts with a bit of encouragement. There's a lady at, at our church and she comes up to Mez. Now, when Mez comes to church, she feels the weight of a pastor's wife, whatever that is. The kids behave. She goes, oh, is that how pastor's wife kids are meant to behave? There's stress. There's, she's got three under four. So they're running around. They're spilling coffees on people. They're spilling water. They're writing on care cards, um, <laughs> whatever it is. And there's a lady at this church and she's just, she just tells Mez every now and then how nice she looks and that she's doing a great job. So it's not fake. She means it. It's don't make something up. And I can't tell you how much that just lifts her whole day. And so I'm not inviting us all when Mez comes back next week to do that. Find, find your own person to encourage. But it's that simple. That's where it starts. Seriously, as a young mum, it makes her weak. Just starts there and might lead to something else. I'm going to pray and uh, just the question around legacy, let it stir you this week. What legacy do you live from and what legacy are you sharing?